Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our topic today is finding meaning after losing Erica, and our guest is Susan Whitmore. Susan Whitmore, successful businesswoman, wife, and mother, was helping her only child, Erica, plan her wedding when she received shocking news. Erica's headaches were, in fact, a rare sinus cancer. Erica would need immediate, life, immediate life-saving treatment. One year later, on May 30, 2002, despite unwavering efforts, Erica died surrounded and held by her loving family. She was 32 years old. In honor of Erica, her mother Susan founded the Erica Whitmore Goodwin Foundation, a nonprofit corporation dedicated to the support of parents grieving the loss of a child, and Grief Haven, a website that honors children and provides resources to parents, siblings, grandparents, medical professionals, and others impacted by the death of a child. Susan's story of hope and the process of rebuilding her life is a show not to be missed today. Welcome to the show, Susan. Thank you for having me. Welcome, Susan. It's great having you on the show. It's really an honor to be here. We are so sorry to hear about Erica. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Very, very difficult. And you sent me some wonderful information about her, and we're going to talk about what you've been doing um, in her memory. But uh, you two were so close. You know, we were. She was um, She was like my best friend. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I'm not really sure exactly how we went about developing such a bond but we we were connected from the hip, from the time, the moment I looked at her. And mm-hmm. for a long time, I was a single mother, too. I was married until she was three, and, um, and I was a single mother for the next seven and a half years. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's where a lot of that took place. It's just I completely dedicated my life to, to raising her in a way that um, would make us, be very close, and um, would also give her a sense of how to live in the world. And, um, you know, often when people, my friends were out on dates on Saturday nights, I would be out seeing a movie with Erica. And then as uh, as she got older, and I remarried, and she got older, and started going into the more difficult years, mm-hmm. um, that really paid off for us, because um, it really kept us close, and we became very, very good friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, we giggled a lot and laughed a lot, and uh, you know, she, we seemed to be each other's best cheerleaders. We just thought each other—I I just thought she was just like the funniest, neatest person, and she just thought I was so wonderful in every way. So I sort of lost my cheerleader when she died. You know? Mm, yeah. yeah. I remember reading some of your information, and, and am I correct? She didn't have medical insurance because she'd been living in Canada. That's correct. And so you folks had to, she came back to the United States and you had to pay out of pocket for the whole medical. Mm, wow. For, um, for the first seven weeks of her treatment, yes. Uh-huh. Wow. And so she was diagnosed and 12 months later she was actually dead? Yes. Wow, that was very quick. Yes, it was, uh, she was living in, in Canada because she had, um, we, we feel that this was one of these, one of the many miracles around her life and her death, but um, she'd gone on a vacation with my mother to Victoria, and while she was there, she serendipitously met uh, this man, Sandy Godwin, at a payphone 
because she couldn't figure out the exchange rate between the America and the loonies and the toonies they have there and the American money. And he helped her just the way he is. And um, it's a, you know, it's one of these little stories in life where it was meant to be, and they ended up falling in love, and she moved to Canada wow. to finish getting her teaching credential and to be with him. And um, so they, you know, the socialized medicine is a whole different ball of wax. We complain a lot in the United States about our health care, but um, until you've been through a tragic illness with someone and been involved in socialized medicine, you don't realize how wonderful our health care is. And, and subsequently what happened was um, she had had a terrible flu in January, and everything got better except her sinus infection. She kept going back to the clinic, and they kept giving her antibiotics, and it wasn't getting better first two rounds of antibiotics we can understand, but when it gets to into three and four months mm-hmm. um, and the pain was so terrible and um, it's very difficult. You can't just go to an ENT specialist or go see somebody. So she kept begging them for doing, to do something and um, finally at four months um, she saw a specialist and they decided to do surgery, um, which they thought was just going to be a mucosil or a routine sinus surgery. We flew up there. And the doctor came out, and he couldn't even look us straight in the face. He said, I don't know how to tell you this, but your daughter has a stage 4 malignant tumor oh, in her sinus. Oh, my gosh. And um, I just burst into tears and started sobbing. Sandy started sobbing. Wendell, my husband, her dad, just sat there, you know, dumbfounded. I, I, I can just remember that moment. And um, my first question was, is she going to die? Mm-hmm. And he didn't know what to say. No one knew what, what it was. And it turns out that less than 200 people have ever had this cancer, oh, ever. So no one knew what to do. And so basically we brought her back to the United States. We, we, we knew we couldn't get her treated there. And and how did she take it? Um, she was, she was, the thing that was difficult was she, we had, to, I had to tell her the next morning because she was too out of it from the anesthesia. So when she woke up the next morning, in the hospital, she said, so, is everything okay with those big blue eyes? And I told her she has cancer, and her first question was, am I going to die? Mm. And then she just... What a, what a moment for you. I mean, oh. I just know our audience out there who have had, you know, the terminally ill children, that they must be right now clicking in on that moment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's a moment that... <laughs> how, are you, how do you tell somebody that, that thinks that they just have a sinus infection. Um, but I told her, no, she wasn't going to die and that we were going to do everything and anything and that nothing would stop us. And that's just my personality, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so we brought her back here to the United States. Oh, you've got that hope. Absolutely. Always that hope. Absolutely, from that and, moment and also on. As, and also as a parent saying, okay, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make my child better. That's my you know role. That's going to do everything in our power to make sure that this, this child, my child, gets better. Yeah. You know, Eric and I have been through a lot of other things in our lives. You know, my divorce was difficult. Her, her, my first husband killed himself. You know, I had to tell her that. Um, you know, we'd been through some tough times together, and that's another reason we were so bonded. And to have to tell her that this was about her um, was, was hard. But it was always, you know, it's always about hope, isn't it? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I don't, I don't think, I know all of our parents out there know this, but it is always until that person is actually gone, there right. is hope. You that hold is, on to the hope even at the end. That is, 
exactly how it is. And um, I never, no matter how hard I tried, I never gave up hope. I couldn't give up hope. I mean, you know what? It's biologically impossible, I think. Mm-hmm. There were times, I mean, even at the very, very end of her life, when, when I knew she was lying down the hall and she was at the last few days of her life, I still didn't believe that she was, on some level, I didn't believe that she was going to die, and, and I was actually holding her when she took her last breath. And I kept going back in there and looking at her because there was some part of me that just couldn't let it in. Right, and you just couldn't believe that this had happened. It didn't ha- It just. It, it's like she's not dead. I mean, I know she's dead, but she's. What happened? Right. <laughs> so, right. The, so basically, what happened was that we um, we owned a home for seventeen years, and because she'd been living in Canada for four and a half years, and we were actually paying for medical insurance there. By the way, it's not free. Mm-hmm. We had to pay. Uh, for her medical insurance, um, she um, she didn't have health insurance here. You know what? What do twenty seven year olds get? They get colds and flus, right? Absolutely. Right. I was just going to say that thirty two year old kids are not supposed. To, you're not. They're not supposed to die. Exactly. Before I mean, their parents. I mean, and before their grandparents. Not, it's not supposed to happen that way. Yeah, we never think of those things. So we mm-hmm. brought her back here, and then that. Let me, was, let me interrupt you for a minute because I want to ask you a question that I find out with so many parents. Did you ever feel that you should have known sooner or you should have gotten her help sooner? Absolutely. Yeah, can you talk about that a little bit because there's so much guilt out there. Mm-hmm. That's a really good question, and I wrestled with the guilt somewhat. Um, what, what did happen was a month before we found out she had this cancer, she came here for a visit, and she, that's when she told me about the pain her sinuses were in. She said it was, getting real, it was so bad that it was getting hard for her to study for finals. And at that time, I said, let me take you to the ENT, my ENT guy here. I'll make an appointment. And she said, you know, I don't want you to spend the money. I don't have health insurance here. And I'm going to be seeing a specialist on Monday. And he's going to, you know, he's, he's this guy, blah, blah, blah. And um, I said, okay. And I remember going shopping with her because that's one of the things that we love to do. I love to, when she'd come to town, I would just spend lots of money on let her buy all kinds of cute clothes and, she would she would cry when she left and and I remember taking her shopping and she was in so much pain she wasn't even looking at that many clothes and that was unusual and I thought God this must be a terrible sinus infection and was the pain in her nose or in her head was it like a migraine or yeah it was beyond a migraine it was in her it, the 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 tumor had invaded the orbit of her left eye so it had eaten mm-hmm. through the bone of her left eye and it had actually eaten a hole in her skull exposing her brain oh my gosh. So um, it never did go into the brain, but it, had, it was so huge by the time we found it that it was actually um, putting pressure on her left eye. Wow. And so that's, tell me, for those folks that are out there right now saying, okay, so she didn't feel, she felt the guilt I felt. How did you deal with it? Mm-hmm. Um, the way I dealt with the guilt, I, you know, I didn't actually feel the guilt all, about that all that much while we were going through this process. Mm-hmm. It really hit me more after she died. Like, right. But I'll tell you how I dealt with it. The truth of the matter is I dealt with it intellectually this time, in this case, because the, it turned out that that tumor was so aggressive and so rare that even had she seen the doctor a month before, it most likely wouldn't have made any difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So and in a way you were able to forgive yourself. Exactly. Which, so having that medical knowledge was really helpful. Yes. Sometimes we have to approach these things from many different levels. We have to approach them from an intellectual perspective, from an educational perspective, and from 
a psychological and emotional perspective. We have to put, you know, it's a balanced perspective that we put together that helps us reason things out and also um, not deny the pain and not deny the feelings um, and be able to go into them, but to help yourself understand why it is. So, so getting knowledge, sometimes going to the accident site, going to the hospital, talking to doctors, looking at medical records, getting as much information as you can. And even, even going, I think going to your doctors and saying, I feel like I should have done something and letting the doctors let you know that you couldn't have. Yes, exactly. That's true. And, and, you know, the website is just a, a, boy, what a host of information. I mean, you can get some bad information too, but I learned a lot about her um, cancer and situation from a study done in on the East Coast where they took 12 people who had this cancer and they followed them through um, to the end of their lives. Um, so, you know, I knew that the, the mortality rate was really high going into this. Of course, I never told her that, mm-hmm. um, ever. I never told her anything that took hope away from her. I was going to say she needed to remain strong. Absolutely. And I never, mm-hmm. I never told Sandy either, her husband, um, because I, I, you know, the two of them didn't need to hear anything that would make them feel that this was hopeless. Well, you also hope for a miracle. I mean, right. there are cures that come up. I mean, some people are there when the cure comes up. So, you know, you you always hope. And there's yeah. not, and there's not just there are there are there are miracles. Yeah, yeah. There's things that, that we just can't explain. I mean, we read it's not it. about the bike during the time that Erica was going through this, and. You know, Lance Armstrong is a miracle. Absolutely. Yeah. And he's a person who shouldn't be alive. And so if it could happen to him, why couldn't it happen to her? Exactly, exactly. So now you've worked with groups of people. Do you see, now my son was killed in an automobile accident immediately, he and his cousin. So do you see uh, a difference in folks that have um, a longer-term knowledge that where it's cancer or whatever compared with a sudden death? This is a very important um, subject and topic to cover, and I'm glad you brought it up because um, I get asked this question through the foundation all of the time. People write to me all the time, and they they ask me um, what it was like having to watch my child suffer and go through so much over a period of a year. Um, They say they they don't know if they could take that. Um, These are people whose children have died suddenly in plane crashes, car accidents, overdoses, um, uh, suicides. Here's what I've I've come to learn, um, you know, over the years and and the thousands of wonderful people that I've had the opportunity to speak with. Um, I've I've discovered that there are huge differences in the memories that we hold once our children do die. So what I go through and memories um, versus someone whose child died in a car accident and they just they kissed them goodbye and then never saw them again versus watching Erica suffer and cry and be scared and holding her um, is that the memories that you live with are different, but the pain is the same. Mm-hmm. That is really the difference. So you really cannot say to someone whose child died suddenly that that's worse than what I went through. Right. The only difference is that, um, you know, my nights that I couldn't sleep the first period of time um, what I remembered and thought about and felt and feared and all everything I went through was just different. Well, and like you said, Susan, there's not a better way to lose a child or a no. sibling. It's all horrible and horrific in different ways. It's all bad. What I was also wondering is I've heard, and I don't know if this is true, I'm going to run it past you, I've heard that some of the grieving takes place before the child dies. Is that true or 
is that not true because you do hold on to the hope until the end? Okay. Um, I would say that there is no way you can grieve over the death of your child before your child has died. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge misnomer that I think comes from certain um, textbook standards. There's no way you can prepare for the death of your child. I can tell you that up until the moment that Erica took her last breath and we were surrounding her and holding her um, as she was dying, and we had prepared, we had prepared ourselves through a specialist who um, told us what the last moments would be like and what we should be, what we should do, and we had prepared her, and it went like clockwork. Um, it was actually one of the most beautiful experiences that I've ever had, and believe me, I could not say that for three years. I didn't think it was beautiful, but now I do. Um, but you don't know what it's like to grieve the death of a child until the moment that child is gone. In fact, I tell people that um, the worst moment of my life was not the moment she took her last breath. The worst moment of my life was that first morning when I woke up and opened my eyes and realized she was gone from this world. Mm, right. And, and you woke up and thought, well, maybe it's not true. And then you Yeah, it took me it. a second to remember, oh, my God, she's gone. So, we all so what I'm hearing is that no matter how somebody dies, it's a sudden death. That because is absolutely true. When Erica, we, when we Erica, go into shock that it's, uh, it actually happened and you can't believe it. And like you're both saying, you wake up the next morning and how can this have happened? That's right. That's why people need to understand that no matter how your child goes, the end result is the same. And we wanted to talk to you about the foundation, about the DVD you've done, and what you've done about uh, what you're doing. Okay, thank you. Um, so yes, I, I started this uh, nonprofit foundation in actually in response to my own um, suffering that I was going through, my own grief and pain. When I started looking around for the various types of support that I could grab onto, and I found that there really wasn't that much to choose from. There were a lot of books that had been written in support groups, but I wanted more than that. And um, I longed for for various things. Like I thought, oh, it'd be so great to get a newsletter in the in the mail and be so great to have this and that. So at some point when I finally gained the strength, I decided that I would do that um, because I felt, I remember at one point when I felt, when I was initially feeling the grief, I thought, how can anybody feel this much pain and survive it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just, it was, it was, it's, it's beyond anything that you can ever describe. You absolutely cannot understand this until you've gone through it. And you think I think your head's going to explode. Yeah. You feel like your chest, your, like, I don't even, there's no way to describe it. I mean, here we're, look at, we're just trying to come up with ways to describe it. Squeezing hearts, you know, you're, yeah. you're going to die if you have one more moment of grief. But you don't. You don't. And um, and as I started, you know, sort of putting now all how the, long for our audience out there? How long, you know, how were you the first year? How were you the second year? When did you start kind of pulling it together? Um, I cried every day for the first year, and I cried all all day, every day for for probably the first nine months. Um, I was exhausted. I felt I wanted to die. Mm-hmm. For the first several months, um, all I could think about was I was just praying that when I had my mammogram, it would be cancer and I would just be in no time with Erica again. I was going to say you wanted to join Erica and be out of your pain. Exactly. The main thing, that that's the two main things. The two main things. Oh, we've got Anne. Okay. So, uh, Anne, hi. How are you? Are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, Yeah, we can. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Uh, I called with two comments. 
Um, the first one, I'm also a grieving parent who lost a son to cancer 11 years ago. And when you were talking about the difference between a current, like an immediate death from a car accident or a death after a period of time, a way that was described to me that I found very helpful was it's as if you, the grieving parent, are being hit by a 20-ton truck. Mm-hmm. If your child has been ill, you may see the truck coming. <laughs> yeah. But you're still hit the same way. I if like the it. child dies by an accident, you're hit from behind. Mm-hmm. Either way, you still suffer with all the pains and all the immensity of being hit by this 20-ton truck. And seeing it coming doesn't take away any of the pain. Right. That's great. Yeah. I love that. That's a good way to describe it. it Perfect. Is. Thank you. Yeah. Thank and you. the other thing I just wanted to say is for those parents who've lost a child, the, the website is really remarkable because there are some parents who go on the website every single day because they feel so alone and this is the only way that they can connect and know that they're being heard and knowing that they're not alone. So for those parents that haven't gone onto the Grief Haven website, just think about it because it can really make a difference and help you feel that you're part of a community and other parents respond, and it's a very, very helpful process. Oh, great. Well, thank, thank you, Anne, for coming on, and we'll have Erica talk about that website a little bit. Okay, you great. Thought. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So what about your website? How do people find it? So it's www. You don't have to put those W's anymore, do you? No. Okay. It's griefhaven.org, G-R-I-E-F-H-A-V-E-N.org. And um, basically what I did was I put together a website and, that has a uh, huge variety of grieving and support tools because, you know, we all grieve differently. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's no wrong way to grieve. Now, now mm-hmm. tell us about your DVD, too, before we have to uh, go off there. We, one of the things we have is, we, you know, we have newsletter. I had designed a grief pen that people wear. wear that oh, we yeah, have. that's a wonderful pen. You wear it upside down. You wear it upside down. down. You turn it right side up. It's a beautiful pen. Uh-huh. Our symbol, is a, of a, our symbol, our website symbol is a grieving heart is an upside-down heart, and so there's a grief pen that people wear in honor of their children. Many, many things. You'll go on the website and you'll see. Yeah, okay, you produce the DVD with the movie stars and... Exactly. We produced a DVD called Portraits of Hope, and it's just about finished now. And that will be available on the website um, within the next couple of weeks. And basically what it is is it's following the grieving process over about 25 years. It includes celebrities who have lost a child, um, regular people like me who have lost a child. And it's all about hope. And that's the thing that I really want to get out. This is really the main message that um, is the goal of my life now that is you're not alone this is a long and windy path don't let someone else tell you how to grieve you have to find your own way everyone grieves differently and um that it won't always be the way it is now ah very good thank you susan whitmore you have been listening to open to hope radio You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.